Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. All right, well, it's good to be back in the groove of Parent U. I, I know a lot of people told me they think Parent U is the best-kept secret at Perimeter, and I think, why are we keeping it a secret? Maybe we ought to invite more people uh, to be here, but I am very happy to see all of you. I know I recognize so many of you as uh, faithful Parent U followers over the last year or two. I'm really excited about this series that we're getting into. I have to give all the credit to my lovely wife, Cami, who studied Daniel last year, and she said, we really need to go through Daniel because it has a lot about parenting in there. And I said, I don't think so. I think that's crazy. So we talked about it a little bit, and then I, I thought, okay, yeah, I think you're right. And then I studied it, and I was blown away by just how much chapter one has that is, uh, is going to really, I think, teach us a lot about a lot of application that we can apply even to our parenting skills um, let me uh, say a word of prayer, and then we're going to read all of chapter 1. So it's kind of long, and, and you guys are familiar with it as well, but uh, we're going we're gonna to read it anyway just because I want to kind of go through it. Um, so let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, Lord, just to come together as, as uh, parents to study your word, to build community, and I pray that you would Guide us this morning, teach us by your word and your spirit. Um, give us wisdom and discernment as parents. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so Daniel chapter 1. Now the context, I think, again, if, you, if you've been in church uh, a lot, you're probably familiar with this book. Um, this is the final, uh, Israel had, was divided into to 12 tribes, and the 10 upper tribes were known as Israel, and then Judah was the two lower tribes, um, Judah and half the tribe of, of Benjamin pretty much, became known as the lower kingdom and, and became known later on as Judah. Uh, Israel got taken into captivity about 100 years before Judah did uh, by Assyria. And of course, then they got um, replanted and different people groups, and they later on became known as the Samaritans when you read the New Testament. But the, the lower kingdom where Jerusalem was, was known as Judah, and it lasted longer, but still their wickedness, their idolatry, and things like that eventually got where where said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you into captivity. I'm going to judge you and use another country to chastise you. And he used Babylon to do that, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar as the king. So that's kind of the context. And uh, let me go ahead and read chapter 1. So, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, that's a good one, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. 
they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, and therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you food and drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat at the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than any of the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of that time, when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king had inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. All right, now, like me, if you are familiar with this story, you kind of read it and think, well, yeah, there's a, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with that. It, 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 it's, um, but this when we kind of dive in and start to look below the surface, I think there's a lot here that can really uh, inform us and, and is similar. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because Daniel was a youth, okay? And a lot of, a lot of uh, scholars believe he was probably about 15 years old, okay? Now, we, we don't always think of that when, when you get into reading Daniel, but he was, he was probably really young when he started. Um, so if he was around 15, I think that can apply to us when we think of, of youth. And then he was also transplanted out of a culture where he was safe rules, where it, was, it should have uh, gone you know, well for him. He was a, a prince, right? He was of, a, of a, a high noble family in Jerusalem of the tribe of Judah, and he gets transplanted into this completely foreign culture. And I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to go through this, because what can we learn from him? Because our kids are to be living countercultural lives, right, in, in a culture that's hostile to what they believe, and he was in the same kind of environment. So when you start right off the bat, you get into this. It, it, verse 1, he says, Nebuchadnezzar came and he besieged Jerusalem. And I think we feel besieged at times, right? We feel like our culture is besieged. Uh, that we are under assault. Uh, you can't turn on the TV without seeing things that go against our culture, uh, especially as a Christian, right? And I do think we're unique around the world that we feel this way. 
I think we, we tend to look back at maybe the 50s or the, the, we think that there's this golden age in America where everything was Christian. And we did have a, a Christian culture kind of veneer, right, over the United States, and we have a Christian heritage. Uh, and so a lot of us feel like something's been lost. But if you think about different cultures, I mean, I was in Kuala Lumpur a couple years ago. And, you know, when you get there, the Christians there don't feel like their Christian culture is besieged. They, when you become a Christian, they know right off the bat what they believe is counterculture to what everyone else believes. And so it's interesting that we feel that way, I think, because of we've seen certain things lost, right? Like prayer in school or, you know, TV used to be more wholesome or things like that. And, and so, uh, but, but around the world, I don't think they feel that way. I don't, I don't think Chinese Christians feel like they've lost something in their culture, right? They, when they become a Christian, they kind of know that they're countercultural. Uh, the next thing that he says in, in this in chapter, in verse 2, which I think is interesting, he said, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. We have to keep in mind that if our culture is besieged, if we are in a countercultural situation, God is the one who allowed that to happen. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think it's easy for us to kind of mourn the changes in our culture without realizing that that doesn't happen by happenstance. It's not like God is, is up there going, I wish that America was just more Christian. God knows it's not more Christian, and he's allowing it to be less Christian as a culture. Um, he gave Judah over into the, the hand of Babylon, and he has given our culture so that now I think we are living in a post-Christian culture in the United States. And so God is allowing that. We need to ask that question, okay, wait, God's called me to live here in such a time as this. He's allowed this. And I think there's even some good things about that. Uh, As our kids are growing up in this culture, even as we interact in this culture, right, it's harder for us to blend in. It is harder for us to blend in with the way the culture is constantly pushing right now. And I think in some ways that can be a good thing for us. If you jump down uh, to verse 4, it says, Now the king commanded the chief eunuch to bring some people of Israel, of the royal family and the nobility. And now he describes them, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. That's a pretty amazing definition of what they're looking for, right? Um, And I I feel like they're looking for a hero. They are looking for Tim Tebow. They want Tim Tebow to come stand in the court. Um, Even I like Tim Tebow, all right? He is, and I'm I'm a Tennessee fan, all right? Beat the snot out of Tennessee every year. Florida is the devil, as far as I'm concerned. And yet, Tim Tebow, you look at him, he's a believer. He loves the Lord. He's well-spoken. He is, he is good-looking, right? He's got, he's, he's, he stands strong. And so you look at a person like that, and I think those of us as Christians, we want to see other Christians who can stand in the culture and stand strong and represent Christianity well, right? We need a hero. We want somebody to represent us in a way like Tim Tebow did. Again, whether you're a fan of his or not, he, you know, he was on his, you know, every vacation he had, he's in the Philippines doing mission work and you know, he, he, was, he was definitely a, a, a light, right, in the, in the culture. And so that kind of attitude is something that I think all of us are, are desperate for. And so when you think about that, what is today's king's court, though? All right? We, what is 
what is the king's court in our context? And I, I started thinking, you know, really, I, I think it's our, the, the channels of cultural influence is, is kind of the vernacular we use here around perimeter. Education, politics, and entertainment, okay? Think about that. Education, politics, and entertainment. Those are three areas of our culture that Christians have largely abandoned, right? Because it's very hostile. It's very difficult to make it in those areas. And that is where we want to see someone stand strong in, in one of those areas. And I, and I have to ask myself, you know, are we, are, we change, you know, are we challenging our kids as they grow older to enter into those, enter into those fields, enter into those channels? I don't know if we are because I think it's, it's difficult. I remember when I was in the Air Force years ago, I was uh, enlisted and I, I, I went in. I had a friend who coached me before I went in. He said, you know, when you get to basic training, you should aspire to leadership. You know, try to be a squad leader or something like that. And I was in basic training, and it took me about a day or two days to realize I don't want to be in leadership. <laughs> I mean, because the leaders, the target is on them. Somebody does something wrong. I mean, it's twice as much work. You've got a lot of things going on. And I was the water monitor, okay? This is in San Antonio, Texas. And so, like, at lunch and, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I would fill two glasses of water and put them on everybody's tray, okay? So instead of, like, being a leader, that's what I was doing. I was thinking... I was thinking, this isn't a bad job. You know, nobody's yelling at me. I get to just sit here and put water on people's trays, keeping a low profile. This is nice. And I wonder if we do that, you know, when we think of our kids getting older, do we want them to go into politics? I mean, I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy these days, the way they tear down politicians. And yet we need godly men and women to enter into that, right? Uh, education. You know, if, if your son or daughter was going to be a professor at a liberal university, you, would we, that could be an amazing thing, right? And yet, do we aspire to that? Are we pushing our kids into that arena? I didn't, I didn't want that. I ended up being a squad leader uh, later on through, through some other things that happened, but I sure didn't want to be at first, and, and yet God pushed me into, into that arena. Um, the next thing we notice is that they are in this foreign land, and they're, he's looking for people, right, who have, uh, who are of, you know, good appearance, you know, endowed with knowledge and understanding, and the goal is to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, okay? That's in, uh, in verse 4 as well. To teach them, they're going to enter into this foreign court, they need to know how to interact there, right? They need to know the culture, the language, there are things that they're going to have to learn if they're going to interact with the Chaldeans. If they're going to be in Nebuchadnezzar's court, they have to know these things. And it's a three-year training program. Are we equipping our students to live in the land that we live in? You know, and that's Rip mentioned that at the beginning. Are we bunkering from Babylon? Are we embracing Babylon? And I think both of those are bear-hugging Babylon, as he put it. I think both of those might would be a mistake. But are we encouraging our kids to enter into that and be trained to live in this culture? Um, Daniel had to do that. And the, the thing about this is certain compromises were made, but not others. We have to be careful when we're reading Scripture that it's telling us certain things that are vitally important, but it's omitting other things, okay? I think that we would be, for us to think that Daniel, the only, that the only thing he was really faced with in becoming, a, you know, learning all this stuff about the Chaldeans was the food stuff. You know, is that all that he compromised or was asked to compromise? What other compromises was he asked to make? We don't know that because it's not written in Scripture. But 
I have to think that it was probably a lot of things that he was pushed at. And for some reason, he drew a line in the sand when it came to food, okay? For some reason, when it came to the dietary law, that's where he drew his line in the sand. And it's interesting for us to think about what, as we compromise in this culture, as we're equipping our kids to live in the culture, we're going to be asked to make compromises as well, right? There are things about our faith where we think if we're going to enter into this, how, what do we compromise on? And I don't think those are easy questions. In fact, I think a lot of times it's very difficult for us to know how to compromise and how not to. Uh, let me give you one example. In this culture that we live in, Sunday, a Lord's Day or a Sabbath day, is not respected, right? And as your kids, if they're in public school, especially by high school, they're going to be asked to completely ignore the idea that Sunday is a special day, okay? How do you handle that? Is that where you draw a line in the sand? Or is that something that you give in on? What, what is your decision in that, and how far do you go when it comes to something like that? Um, I think one question to ask when it comes to a compromise that we're supposed to make is what is the missional impact of that choice? Are you intentional about leveraging your influence in that situation? Okay. Um, Is God leading you into that decision? Now, think just with the example I've given on Sunday, okay? Let's, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could do. Uh, if your child is involved in drama, for example, and they have all-day rehearsals on Sunday, and you know that's going to be a part of being on the drama team or, the, or in a play, and your child is ministering to some students that are in that play, maybe, maybe they have a good relationship with some kids, maybe they're homosexual kids, Okay? And your child is entering into that missionally, and that's, you know, do you make that decision that it's okay to do that because of the mission that's taking place? You know, that's, that's a question. That's a thing we've struggled with. We've wrestled with that very question. Do we draw a line in the sand here? Do we allow this? What is the missional impact? And are we being intentional about leveraging the missional impact that we have? If we're going to make that, if we're going to give in there. Okay, likewise, you could say something different with a sport, right? A baseball. Are you going to enter into a baseball league? Because I think this is a question you need to wrestle with. We need to ask if our son's going to play baseball and they're going to play on Sunday, what does that look like? Do, Do they have a missional impact on that team? And is that why you're there? If it's not why you're there, if it's to get a scholarship or something, is that important to God? Um. You see, these are questions we have to wrestle with, and we are making compromises, and we're asked to make compromises. I mean, it comes to what, what you watch, what you listen to. There's all kinds of things. Uh, I'm just using Sunday as an example because it's one that, that sticks out to me very easily. So what is the missional impact? Are you intentional about leveraging your influence, and is God leading you into that decision? I think it's even more interesting that Daniel was, he drew a line in the sand at food, you know, and the food later on is, we know in the New Testament, all, all food is declared clean, all right? So we have information Daniel didn't have. We know that food doesn't really mean anything as far as what he ate, okay? It was, 
it, God gave them the dietary laws, obviously to be more healthy and things like that, but he gave it to them to separate them to, so they would be set apart. That was one of the chief things that separated them. That's why God declared all food clean in the New Testament because he was trying to join Christians together, right, into this new covenant relationship. But the food in and of itself is really not, not the whole, not the, the issue. It's the appearance and the separation and, and that you're different. I think Daniel and his friends were more set apart because they drew a line in the sand at something that was obvious that everybody could see. You'll see, if you read through this again, over and over again, visual words are used. Appearance, in the eyes of, observance. All of these words are used over and over and over again. And God is making a point that he wants them to look different. He wants them to be different. Think about it. If, what if Daniel and his friends, they didn't have to do this food thing. What if they hadn't done that? God still could have made them the smartest, right? He still could have done that. But yet, for some reason, he asked them to draw this line in the sand and to be different. The next thing that you see is that Daniel and his friends were all from the same tribe. They were a band of brothers. They had a tight community where they could hold each other accountable. Um, would any of them been able to do this and stand alone if they hadn't had this community? Would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done what they did if they didn't have Daniel leading them? That's a good question to have. What, and you think, what is your child's band of brothers? And what are you doing to encourage them to have that? Okay? Especially as they move into junior high, into high school, what does their band of brothers look like? Is it, is it their discipleship group? Is it, and there's different strategies you can take here. You can say, okay, we want, like at, at high school in Watershed, we encourage students to have a discipleship group that is made up of kids from that same school so they can enter into that with a band of brothers in that all, everybody going to the same school. But some people that have developed deep relationships maybe with different schools, so, and maybe they need that to retreat to. Uh, it doesn't mean one is wrong. I've seen both work. Are you leveraging Young Life, FCA, Student Venture, and all that in the Christian community? Um, I'm going to have to go fast because we're, we're running out of time. The next thing is Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He led his brothers in conviction. He determined beforehand what he was going to do. And we've mentioned this story before. We have a close friend whose daughter was entering into high school with all her friends and she, her, her, her mom told her daughter, you need to decide beforehand before you go to a party, how are you going to respond if everybody drinks? And this daughter went into this environment. She decided ahead of time, I'm not going to drink no matter what. And she would ask her friends, what are you going to do if, if there's alcohol at this party? And they would say, I don't know. And every time they said, I don't know, they drank. She was, but she had determined in her mind beforehand what her response was going to be. And then she stayed strong when she entered into that environment. Daniel resolved to do this. He led his friends. God gave him favor with the chief eunuch. Um, God gave him favor. Over and over again, when you read through this chapter, you'll see that God is the one who gives. God is the one who gives the favor. God is the one who gives the knowledge. He's the one. Now, the main point, it's taken me a while to get there. But one of the things that just blows me away about Daniel is he went up in front of the chief eunuch and he said, test me. Test me. If you don't get anything else this morning, that's one of the things that I think is the most profound about this chapter. Is Daniel said, I want to be tested in this area. 
I don't see, I don't think we want that. I don't think we want to be tested, and I don't think we want our kids to be tested. I want my kids to have it easy, right? We want our kids to love all their teachers. We want our kids to have no relational conflict at school, right? We want our kids to get along great with all their coaches and everybody on their teams. We don't want the testing. And yet God uses the testing the most to shape us, and he uses the testing the most to be glorified. Uh, Daniel, think about it. What kind of life would Daniel have had? What kind of person would he have been if he'd stayed in, in Jerusalem the whole time? If Daniel had stayed in Jerusalem and grown up there, would we even know his name? Would we know anything about him? You see, the testing of Daniel is what made him great. Have you ever thought about that? The testing is what gave him the opportunity to glorify God, and the testing is what made him great. And so are we looking for places to test our kids? Are we looking for ways that they can be tested? And then are we coaching them and preparing them to do that? And finishing up, it says, God gave them learning and skill. They had different gifts. Daniel had different gifts than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was the one who had visions and dreams. He was able to interpret those. God gave a blessing, but he gave them different gifts. And at the end, Daniel and his friends were 10 times better than all the rest. Now, this could be a Jewish lesson, right? I could be teaching this at a synagogue if we don't talk about Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus for a minute. How does Jesus apply into this? Jesus is a better Daniel, (coughs) right? Jesus did not defile himself. He was tested in every way, and he passed. He passed all of this, and he has a name which is above all names, right? He has a name that only he knows. If you read Revelation, right, it says when Jesus comes back, he has a name that only he himself knows. And that's because when other people give you a name, they, when you, you name your child, right, you have authority over them. Jesus has a name nobody knows because there is nobody with authority over him. Uh, Because he's so glorified and magnificent, and he has passed the test on our behalf. He will give us a band of brothers. As parents, we need this band of brothers, and he is, you and I aren't good enough to raise a Daniel. We're not good enough to be the Daniel, but we can pray that God will lift up our kids so that they can survive this world of Babylon that our kids are growing up in, right? We're going to fail, but Jesus didn't, and that's the gospel, right? That is we need that. And we're going to fail as parents, and we need to turn to Jesus over and over again. So what is the takeaway? I gave, I gave you a sheet with all these on there. Um, but these are, this is a great date night. Take one of these sheets. You and your, your spouse are together. It's a good thing for you to talk about some of these questions, and these are your takeaways for today. Does your child have a role to play in the channels of cultural influence? What are you doing to equip them for life in this culture to learn the local language? What compromises are you making in the culture? What lines in the sand should you be drawing? Is there an intentional missional reason for your compromise? What is your child's band of brothers and how, or who, who is your child's band of brothers? And how are you helping to foster those relationships? And then you can even add this, where is your band of brothers as, a, as parents? Do you have a group of other parents that you can go to and cry on their shoulder or say, I blew it, or say, help me have wisdom in this situation? Who's your band of brothers? Because we need that just as much as our kids. How are you praying for your child to have favor with the influencers? 
Where are you encouraging and promoting the testing of your child? How are you equipping them for that test? And is there a visible difference in your child and their friends? Is there a visible difference between the way your family operates and that of your, of your non-Christian peers? All right, so I want you to take that home. Uh, look over that. It's a great dinner table conversation, maybe. Uh, it'd be a good thing for you to do on a date. And I'm going to invite my lovely wife to come up here and close us out today. All right. Hey, guys. I always love. I'm, I'm, I was really excited about us talking about Daniel because I studied this last year, and I just felt like it was so rich. <clears throat> and I always love for Jeff to share because he um, always comes away with things that I wouldn't necessarily have come up with. Um, but I always want to bring it back to how hard this is. And, um, you know, for years, for those of you that are newer to Parent you, um, I would sit and I would watch Jeff teach, and he teaches these great nuggets. And, and I just, after he taught for about a year at Parent U, I said, okay, but this isn't what it always looks like at our house. <laughs> and, and so I wanted to share with you guys, because I feel like it sometimes, it can be overwhelming. And I don't know if you feel like it's hard to live all of this. I, I do. Um, Jeff and I have two teenagers now. We, ha we have Tirza, who's 16, and Jace, who's 13. And I just wanted to come and tell you guys that this whole idea of living in Babylon, I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I don't want my kids to be tested. I don't want them to be tested because I am terrified they will fail. And I'm afraid they're already failing, if I'm honest. And even worse, I don't trust God. When I look at it and I think of Daniel, I think he was taken away from his family. And when I think about who God is, he values humility and he uses suffering. And I don't want my kids to experience either. I want to live like this is the new heavens and the new earth. I want to stick my head in the sand and I want to say the world is not broken and my kids are not affected by its brokenness. And if, you know, I know that's not true. I know that sin is crouching at the door. And it is seeking to destroy them. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid of all the sin out there. Because the sin out there exposes the sin in here. And I can't fix my kids' sin problem. So I'd rather just pretend it doesn't exist, if I'm honest. You know, Jeff mentioned the Sabbath. I'm afraid of a culture that doesn't value the Sabbath. I see as I read the Old Testament, God's judgment on Israel for not valuing the Sabbath. And I see we're constantly being encouraged as Christian to compromise our obedience. Um, even a Christian league that has games on Sunday we, we came up face-to-face -face with that just recently, and so we're having all of these discussions at our house over what is the Sabbath for, and I hear out of the mouths of my own children, well, 
we can have fun on the Sabbath. And I think, oh, I failed you. It's not about your fun. The Sabbath isn't about you. The Sabbath is about God and his holiness. And maybe I've allowed sugar cereal and popcorn and Coke for dinner. And and I've made it about you. And, and it's not. And so I'm convicted. Am I modeling righteousness? Do my children see me pursuing the Lord on the, on the Sabbath? Do they see me hold Sunday as holy? Or do they just see it as a day when mom demands a nap? I'm afraid of a culture where God's name is taken in vain and it's no longer frowned upon. That it's on TV and the movies. And when it happens, I don't even really flinch. When I was... 16 years ago, when I was pregnant with tears, I had a friend who was talking about, we were talking about the movie The Titanic, and she said she and her husband were so offended by them taking the Lord's name in vain that they got up and left the movie. And I remember being a little surprised by that because I remember thinking, that's not such a big deal. And I've thought about that for 16 years. Like, shouldn't it be a bigger deal? Should I turn off my TV and walk away when it happens? But I don't. And so I wonder, what is my example teaching my kids? And I'm afraid of the technology in our house. I feel like we have to model moderation, but I wonder if we've made it into an idol. I wonder if in modern times we've replaced the carbon images with flat screen TVs and oversized monitors. And I wonder if in our home we're using it to honor God. I mean, I know that it's not inherently evil, but I wonder what choices there are that are even good on television. We've spent all summer trying to find some good television to watch, and it's been a struggle. And I'm afraid I'm failing. I'm afraid that we're using television and computers to distract us from the spiritual. And I'm afraid that it's becoming an opiate and that I'm as guilty as a non-believer of running to these things instead of to God. The bottom line for me that is so hard as we're talking about Babylon is that my greatest fear is that I'm Babylon, that I've so bought into the culture that I'm teaching my kids to compromise Instead of living counterculture, I worry that at my feet, my kids are learning the wrong things. And I've wondered if maybe Daniel's parents weren't lucky because he was taken away from their example. And I'm overwhelmed with fear and with guilt. And left to myself, I would be hopeless.
But I'm thankful that God doesn't leave me in a pit of my own self-condemnation. He reminds me that he sees the depth of my sin, but instead of running away from me, he sent Jesus to die for me. He ordained that I would live in this day and this time, and my struggles are no surprise to him, nor are the struggles of my kids. All summer, I've been feeling this struggle between the spiritual and the flesh, and I've felt this darkness in my heart over it, and yesterday morning, the Lord lovingly woke me up before I needed to be up. Don't you love it when he does that? And I'm laying in bed going, do you really want to meet with me this morning at 6 o'clock? Do you know that school's about to start and I'm not going to be able to sleep till 8? And he lovingly helped me get out of bed and drew me to his word where I was reminded that his voice doesn't tear me down. His voice convicts, but it also empowers. It empowers me to make different choices. And as I sit in his lap and read his word, I am reminded that he delights in me. He sees my failures and my weaknesses, and he delights in me because he loves me so much. And his love humbles me to the depths of my soul. I'm humbled by his love that covers over all my poor choices and even those of my kids. We should be different than Babylon. But how different? When are you being salt and light? And when are you compromising? That's hard. There's a lot of gray. And I'm sure I get it wrong often. But I know that God loves me even if I'm not different enough. And the only way I'm made more different is by spending time with him. So instead of running today, (laughs) so today, instead of running to the television and the computer, I am going to run to the Lord. I'm going to go to worship after we're done at Parent U, and I'm going to enjoy the Lord. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to have breakfast for lunch, and I'm going to have a holy nap. And then I'm going to engage with my children and play games and talk to them about the importance of the Sabbath. And I'm going to walk past the sink with the dirty dishes in it, and the overflowing baskets of laundry, and I'm going to spend some quality time today in prayer. Tomorrow, I might blow it. But today, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, you know how hard it is to live in Babylon. You know, because you walked this earth and you saw the compromises people made and you saw the depth of their need for you and you hurt for them and you loved them 
and then you died for us. I thank you for that, Lord, because we need you to save us. We need you to save us eternally, but we also need you to save us right now today from our own fleshly desires for Babylon, that we want to sometimes bear hug it or we want to bunker against it. But Lord, we know that only you can break Babylon in our hearts. And so I pray that for each person here today. I pray that you would begin a work in our hearts that will overflow into our households. I pray that you would grab a hold of the hearts of our children and that they would see that the things of this world do not satisfy, but only the things of you. That you would draw us to your word and to worship and to prayer and that we would feel the fatness and the satisfaction of our spirits being full of you. Lord, if we're honest, some days we just don't want you. And we would stick our hands in this our heads in the sands rather than acknowledge our need for you. Open our eyes. Show us our need. Show us that when we explode at our kids or run away and into the television or computer that what we our heart really needs is you. And then, Lord, please empower us to make different choices because we cannot do it in our own strength. And our kids are watching, Lord. They're seeing us compromise, and, and they're being affected by it. So help us to show our kids you, to show them our hunger and desperate need for you, and help us to authentically share our own faith when it can, because you've made it stronger because of the testing that you've allowed in our lives. So I pray that as we go to worship today, that you would prepare our hearts and that we would enjoy you as we haven't before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cammie. Hey, um, just a few things to know before y'all leave. I think there's a few more donuts if you want to put any in your pockets and take them to service. Maybe you could drop one in the offering plate along with your check. I don't know. But um, also, we're in the thick of things ramping up for us, and and we're very excited. We've been able to hang out with a a lot of uh, students over the summer, but this is our time where we get to connect with a lot of them, and and that just excites us. It energizes us. Um, Our friends our own age make fun of us because the majority of our friends are teenagers, but we're, we're okay with that, and we're proud of it. So next Sunday is what kicks it all off with an event that we like to call Slip and Slide Rush. And what that is, is a, uh, it's a few versions of some sports, but um, very slippery. So we do a Slip and Slide kickball where the uh, bases are ran on slippery tarps and the bases are kiddie pools filled with bubbles and whatnot. We do a Slip and Slide soccer, a Slip and Slide tug of war, and it's all kind of class competitions. It, it's, it's an incredible time. Um, and so, like I said, that kind of kicks it off because then we'll have a normal watershed. And then the following is BYOF, bring your own freshmen. That is when we just try and get as many freshmen, um, exposed to watershed so that they can have a good time. If you're confused with all these things coming up, our calendar, if not already, should be up on our Facebook page. Um, that, that will have all our trips, all those things. Also look for this in the mail 
that's got our whole year's worth of trips and watersheds and discipleship and all kinds of good things. If you haven't seen that in the mail yet, should they have already received it, Mark? Should be coming this week. So um, if you don't get it in a week or so, come see us. We'll give you uh, an extra one. And then finally, so, something that's pretty cool that we do, we, we have Watershed, and, and this year we're encouraging our uh, discipleship group leaders to come to Watershed to hang out with their kids too. We're going to be involving them a lot more as well. And so when Watershed ends, we have this thing called Dollar Dinner. It's a dinner where the students can just pay $1, creative, dollar, dollar dinner, you pay a dollar for dinner, um, and they pay $1 and they get a, a you know, a, I started to say great dinner, decent dinner, because sometimes it's like Taco Bell, right, but... But they at least get to have dinner because then we have discipleship after so that we try and make it easier not only for the kid but the family. So we try and, you know, hit everything in one night. We have our watershed event and our discipleship. So here's what we need from y'all to start praying through considering the, the, the people who volunteer with our ministry, it, it is an honor for us to see them involved, and we try and not burn them out. We want them to walk away going, man, that was an awesome experience. Can't wait to do something again rather than, oh, my gosh, kill me now. I'm never doing that again. So what we did, Susan Hart did an awesome job this last year with being our dollar dinner coordinator. And basically what that means is we go, hey, Susan, plan on a couple hundred people this week. Here's a budget. And she would call around to either get Taco Bell to come in, um, Waffle House, pizza, just whatever. She just makes sure that the food is either being picked up or delivered, and then we we have volunteers that kind of help and distribute that. We need a new dollar dinner coordinator because we don't want to burn Susan out. So pray about that. No pressure. If you love Jesus, you would do it, but that's on you. I'm not I'm not trying to push you into anything, but we need a dollar dinner coordinator this year. So think about that. Pray about that, and I believe that's it. Is there anything else I need to be announcing? That's good. All right. Thank you, guys. It was great seeing y'all. We're excited about this new year starting. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.